Good evening and welcome back to Psychedelic Healing. I am your host, Sonia Cotto, nurse anesthesiologist and mental health advocate, here to introduce you our guest this evening, Dr. Michael McKenzie. He is a board-certified family physician with his primary care practice here in Hollandale Beach, Florida. He was one of the first doctors in the state of Florida to become certified by the Florida Medical Cannabis Program, which first started here in 2015 and then later expanded with the passage of Amendment 2 in November of 2016. In addition to his primary care practice, he takes particular interest in cannabis therapeutics and evaluates patients of all ages for medical cannabis, treating quite a few with cannabinoids in all different routes, sublingual, vaporizing, and and we'll talk about all the different routes that he uh, chooses. He also lectures across the state of Florida and nationally about medical cannabis to his physician colleagues and policymakers, and has been a big role and taken a big role in the advancement here in Florida. Welcome, Dr. McKenzie. Good evening. So first, I you know want to address with everyone. I know psychedelics has the term, and traditionally, you know, cannabis. No one would think that cannabis is a psychedelic. But when you think about it and you look at the terms and what the original meaning of psychedelics is, it actually is, you know, classically a Greek word and it turns into like psychs and it's soul mind, really mind manifesting. So, you know, cannabis does have the ability to alter perceptions and manifest and really heal. And I actually met Dr. McKenzie at this Brain Love podcast event, alternative healing event. And I was blown away by by his knowledge and actually taught me so much about uh, medical cannabis and its use. And so I definitely wanted to bring him on and actually just pick his brain and actually allow him to teach everyone out there about so many things about cannabis. So thank you so much for coming and being with me today. And I first wanted to actually start off with what's, you know, you've been in practice for many years and then what when got years. you interested in, you know, cannabis in 2015? Actually, it was a CNN segment with Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Well, I love him. Doing his first installment of his uh, weed series, parts one through, I think it's up to five now, where he started talking about its use in seizures and, you know, talked about the late Charlotte Figgy and her dealing with Gervais syndrome and how, you know, the family uh, in conjunction with the Stanley brothers came up with a strain that was high in CBD, low in THC, that was able to uh, control our seizures. And just the impact that segment had on our country nationwide was amazing because there was this literal mass exodus of people from various states to Colorado as a result of the Sanjay Gupta segment. Yes, I remember Charlotte's Web. Yes. yes. Oh, wonderful. So that, and then that actually, but that was before 2015. That was a few years ago, or was it 2015? Um, it was around that time, 2014, okay. 2015. I believe in 2014 is when they signed the um, Compassionate Use Act or whatever, which made CBD available for epilepsy patients and any other suspended product was available if you were like on hospice care. I mean, that's all that was important. Right. I know. I'm so glad we've uh, advanced uh, to where we're at. And, you know, when we actually started talking at the alternative health event, you started speaking about the difference in medication, how medication has one 
strain, right? Essentially, if we were talking about, you know, cannabis, how right it's millions of strains and so can you explain to me what the difference is like medication you take a blood pressure medication i remember that stood out right it doesn't matter what pharmaceutical company makes it it's going to be metropolol or hydralazine whatever medication right. is it's that As example, you know, metformin for diabetes right. for example there's only one thing called metformin it is exactly you have a compound now the right. difference is like you might have some metformins that are extended release versus standard mm-hmm. release yeah, your 500 milligram, 850 milligram, and a thousand milligram. Right. That's it. Or metformin in combination with another diabetes agent, right? Like a Zig Duo or something like that. You know, right. but but it's the same funny compound. Exactly. When we talk about the cannabis plant, we're talking about something that can have any combination or ratio of three fundamental elements. Number one, cannabinoids, both major and minor. So your major cannabinoids would be like your THC, CBD. Minor cannabinoids would be like THCV, CBG, CBN, CBDD, things like that. And also then you have your terpenes, which you give cannabis a smell. When you smell cannabis, you're not you're smelling the terpene because THC is odorless. And then you also have your flavonoids. Flavonoids are, you know, give cannabis its color. They also are physiologically active at the receptor site. So you have the terpenes, the flavonoids, and the minor cannabinoids in various combination and ratio, all acting on that cannabis receptor site. And they're going to have different strengths for which it binds to that receptor site based on the terpenes, the flavonoids, and the cannabinoids, both major and minor together, what people have termed the entourage effect. People talk about, oh, they say sativa versus indica, but it's so much more complex than that, right? It's more complex than that, and I will admit I'm guilty. Uh, I still use the term Stephen indica, but for the sole purpose of just breaking things down simple so people could understand, okay? It is strictly just sort of a patient education thing just to get them, just explain things so they can understand, okay? I'm not going to go into allosteric modulators that are subject with the 82-year-old grandma. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Well, so, so you can have, so you can have the same terpenes in a sativa and an indica. Um, You'll add a different terpene profile. It'll, each one, so an indica will have specific terpenes. Right. Like your indica shows to be your more sedating type of terpenes, like your myrcene and your linalool, you know, whereas your sativas are known for more, your stimulating terpenes, like limonene. Mm-hmm. Which is the right kind of citrus fruits? Oh, gosh, so I'm mind blown. <laughs> Which so is the, why you're here. The, the number one take home point in this whole discussion is this: the heterogeneity and pleiotropy of the plant precludes us from treating it as a single agent. Okay. Okay. Because so say that in layman's terms for our people, because okay. So what I'm talking about metformin is only one thing: metformin. Exactly. Right? Because cannabis has so many variables within it, mm-hmm. I cannot treat it as a single solitary agent the way I would treat metformin. Right. Okay? Now, the other word that I use, pleiotropy, which means many uses. It is a versatile plant that has a ton of various uses. You know? Um, so, like I said, a lot of the people in the leadership of the medical establishment want Cannabis to be defined as a single agent that is defined by THC percentage. Those of us in the cannabis space know that's not even remotely accurate. 
it's not just a THC that defines what this product is because I can have two products, both 18% THC, but have 180 degree opposite effects. One will make you sleep like a baby. The other one will be vacuuming the dishes throughout the night. And that's where it started chirping the flavor and minor jam red profiles and ratios. Okay. So that makes it very, very difficult. So how, how would someone who has a medical cannabis card go? Are they listed on all the terpenes and the flavonoids? Are they yes. listed? When you go to the terpene content is listed. Oh, beautiful. Okay. So then why don't we go a little bit deeper into specific terpenes? Because you said... Okay. The lemon, you said lemonade, lemon, lemon, derived from lemons and citrus fruits, uh, tends to be more stimulatory effect. So uh, a sativa individual. Yeah. Okay. Whereas myrcene, which is also found in mangoes and beer hops, has more sedative effects. You know, um, so remember, there's a thing called the old hippie trick. Back in the 60s, you know, hippies used to consume a mango before consuming cannabis to kind of prolong their high. Well, there was actually <laughs> really. because men was have myrcene, you know, and myrcene is a very important terpene found in cannabis. No, I, I never actually heard that. That's that's beautiful. So, yeah. OK, so when we're going to go into specifics, so let's say a patient has, um, you know, our audience, if they're suffering from anxiety, you know, where it's uncontrollable. But what would be like? I guess the focus of like the terpenes or the type of um, cannabinoids. I would go for the indica products that contain significant amounts of mercy. Mercy. M Y R C E N E. Yes. Okay. M-Y-R-C-E-N-E. You would not want to put a product with a whole lot of limonene in there because that will work against you if you're treating anxiety. Yes. Sativas work against you if you have anxiety. It'll make your anxiety worse, actually. Mm. Make you but then I heard it was also good for focusing. So indica's myrcene is good for anxiety, right? And then good for the mind. So when, so I guess the the sativa and the lemonines would be more of a for focus, like depression. What else would be right, for depression? And also ADHD and ADHD. Really, it makes you focus. The, the, stimula- the, the stimulatory terpenes. Okay, we treat it the same way we treat using stimulus in ADHD. Oh yeah, duh. Okay. Now, a doctor that has quite a bit of experience with this is Dr. David Berger. He's a pediatrician in Tampa who sees mostly kids, but he's also a cannabis specialist too. He has treated plenty of kids with ADHD with uh, cannabis-based products. Wow. Yeah, that's it's a lot different than you don't have to worry about the insomnia, the anorexia, the um, personality right. changes. It doesn't necessarily... It doesn't mean you're vaporizing anything either because you have transdermal patches your kid could wear while at school. Oh, really? That I was going to ask you the next thing is the route. So you actually have transdermal? Yeah, they're transdermal really? patches. And then do they focus really like to avoid like lower THC content because you don't want them essentially stoned throughout school? Uh, well, one of the you bypass the liver metabolism. Because when you take cannabis product orally and it has to go through your liver, what happens is it will take the THC and convert it to 11-hydroxy-THC. So your delta-9 THC becomes 11-hydroxy-THC in the liver. And that is just psychoactive and long-lasting. Whereas when you take it transdermally, you're not, you're, you're not you're bypassing the liver. So you're not going to get 
11 hydroxy THC as a result of a, as a metabolite. That is so amazing. Transdermal patches. That is awesome. So that's how they're treating pediatrics with ADHD. Oh. Yep. Um, also, um, I mean, I'm sure there are some that may vaporize for certain conditions, but there's capsules, there's uh, transdermal patches. So you don't have to worry about a kid dosing in the middle of the school day if he's wearing a transdermal patch. Right. And it's a more steady steady uh inflow you know steady dosing through the through the sky right. oh that's great and you had well, actually different ratio products available like if you want to say a one-to-one thc cbd they have those available you know mm-hmm. yeah and that's you know we'll go more into detail about these terpenes because i love this but my question is the thc you know everyone's telling me and i've actually seen it the thc content is getting ridiculous like percentages are in the 30s, 40s percents, and depending on the certain stuff, is more THC better? Well, here's the thing, though. You know, I know that a lot of dispensaries love using their THC percentage as some sort of marketing shtick, but those of us in the know clinically, we don't rely on THC percentages. It's more important to know what's the terpene profile of the product that you're taking. Yes. Okay. Okay. Again, it is a decent guide, but it's not the be-all, end-all like a lot of people, even within the medical leadership of this country, try to try to do. You know, that's why I don't want the AMA getting involved in like cannabis policy because they don't know anything. You know, if they're gonna you know, get cannabis policy, please consult the actual cannabis clinicians that are boots on the ground that do this all day, every day, and twice on Sunday. You know, but I. A very common trope used throughout history was that, oh my God, the cannabis today, this is not your granddaddy's weed. This is, you know. But what's funny is there's a very good article, which I'll share with you when I get a chance, where somebody plots out historically all the times throughout history where our leadership in Congress and Senate and others have complained that. The, ca- the cannabis of today is way stronger than before. They were saying this in the 70s. They were saying this in the 80s. They were saying this in the 90s. Okay? Now, keep in mind, we did not have accurate testing to determine what was in the product. Okay? Um, oh, yeah, that's new. Wait, wait. Yeah. Nowadays, you know, there is something called HPLC. High Performance Liquid Chromatography. That is the gold standard of measuring your product. Whether you didn't know what the exact THC percentage is, where are the minor cannabinoids, what's your terpene profile, what's your flavonoid profile. And HPLC is the most accurate gold standard method of assessing how much of each element is in your product. Okay? But PLC was not used in the 70s or even in the 80s. So I can't really go by what people say how strong something was back then. When there was no testing for the terpenes back then, they weren't even looking for flavorings back then. They were, you know, and thank God our brothers and sisters in Israel were doing that research when the U.S. refused to do that research. And it's through yeah. the researchers in Israel at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem and at the Technion in Haifa that's where we're able to get all this information about the terpenes of flavorings and the heterogeneity of the plant. To take us out of that sort of stuck mentality of it's one thing, it's only defined by the THC percentage, you know. 
Right. How many terpenes are there? Oh, there's a whole lot. Uh, let me grab a tool real quick. Okay. Yeah, so terpenes, depending. That's so interesting. So now when we look at it, so terpenes this are specific to... So the next oh, let me see. Wheel. Oh, okay. well, that's a lot of so, terpenes in there. <laughs> right, so you've got terpenoline, you know, it's not kind of sedating in nature. You know, you have humulene, you know, which allegedly suppresses appetite. This mm. like another cannabinoid, THCV, is also a kind of an appetite suppressant because GW Pharmaceuticals were trying to research as a weight loss drug. But when you look at your average cannabis product, it exists in super, super small percentages of cannabis products. So, for example, there's one particular land race straight out of South Africa called Durban Poison, and that probably has the highest amount of THCB at 1%. Durban Poison? Yeah. <laughs> These names are very interesting. <laughs> you know, then you have Osamine, Neurolidol, Limonene, Alpha-pinene, myrcene, caryophylline, beta-caryophylline, um, some black pepper, you know, wow. little lavender, pineal, fenchol, and eucalyptol. Wow. And those, so what does the eucalyptol do? Is that immune support? I well, think of eucalyptol, you know, it is derived from like mint and sage, antioxidant, and they allegedly say some memory enhancement, you know? It's like alkalinine allegedly is a memory enhancer, you know, but we don't really have the studies to really nail it down to we so we can have evidence-based data that actually influence memory. Right, right. Because you would think that usually that does, the, as cannabis does the exact opposite. So, but hey, if you could preserve memory. And you were telling me, so you, we have, alpha, you were telling me alpha pinene and you were talking to me about this patient because when we were talking about the, the routes of administration, obviously traditionally most people smoke it and or vaporize it. And now we have the oils, the tinctures, and now transdermal, which is amazing. This patient, alpha pinene for COPD patients, that blows my mind, cannabis for COPD patients. So why don't you explain to me about this patient? Yeah, um, this is a patient who has, um, who developed a post-COVID pulmonary fibrosis, which is like an autoimmune disease of the lung where your body's immune system attacks your lung as the enemy. And as a result of all this inflammation going on, you produce scar tissue, what they call fibrosis. And so your lungs, which is, is supposed to be like a, like a wet sponge, is now like a rubbery sponge, you know? And um, so there was a book written by a minister in South Carolina where he chronicled his battle with pulmonary fibrosis and how he used cannabis to help his symptoms. And the reason why cannabis would help his symptoms because remember, pulmonary fibrosis is an autoimmune disease. So that means your immune system is attacking you when it should not be. So uh, his immune system is attacking his lungs. So when your immune system attacks your lungs, it's releasing all these nasty chemicals called cytokines and interleukins, which yeah. uh, further makes matters worse. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the thinking behind this is by inhaling certain cannabinoids, you, they actually go onto those immune cells themselves and mm -hmm. dial them down. So when cannabis binds to that, what's called a CD2 receptor, which is found in your immune cells, 
it dials down those immune cells. And so they release much less of those inflammatory chemicals. And that's why patients with certain autoimmune disorders get relief with cannabis. Okay. So um, with this particular patient, I suggested that he vaporize cannabis using a volcano. A volcano is a type of device where it looks like a dome and mm -hmm. you put the cannabis bud on top and then you attach a bag, like a bag, a one-way valve mm -hmm. on there. And as the cannabis heats up, it inflates the bag. Once it inflates up, you detach it from the volcano device and then you then inhale through this one-way valve. The gas gets cooler and then you inhale it. And then this goes into your lungs and acts on the receptive on those immune cells that are overactive, quiets them down so the patient gets some relief. And specifically, um, I sold them to get products that have alpha-pinene in there because alpha-pinene does have a lot of what's called bronchodilating or Benadryl-like side effects, which is advantageous to people with type of lung disease. Mm -hmm. And so as a result of doing that, you know, he definitely, you know, he definitely gets relief. Now, um, he's still on oxygen, you know, and he's still being seen by pulmonary, pulmonary, who is fully aware that he's taking cannabis, you know? So that's part of this whole deal is the communication between you and the specialist who may not be well-versed in cannabis, you know? And I'll talk to anybody who's willing to listen, and I have good communication with all my specialists, from the oncologists who treat my patients, uh, to the pulmonary digestive by patients so they know fully they're fully aware of what i do yeah that's wonderful yeah because most you know you can get those medical cards anywhere now and you're looking for certain you know help it, certain disease processes pain migraine seizures adhd you know right. but most of the doctors don't know anything like if you have anxiety and you're just generally going through and you happen to take a sativa and you wonder oh no it gives me anxiety or the you know Patients. The strawberries are coming after you. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no, you know, cannabis isn't for me. And, you know, I do want if if those of you out there that aren't familiar, we do have cannabinoid receptors. He did mention that we have the CBD2 on the lungs and all throughout the body, but we have cannabinoid receptors. We naturally produce and have those. They're kind of autoreceptors where they kind of calm right. we even the nerve cells. Exactly. You know, the human body produces two cannabinoids. Number one, anandamide. The other one is 2-AG. Okay. And your first exposure to cannabinoids when you breastfed. Because the mother's milk has the compound 2-AG in there. You know? Mm. And so when they've done experiments with, for example, we'll call knockout mice. So mm -hmm. they breed mice specifically without a CD1 receptor. Okay. Okay. Those mice do not suckle. When they're born. Wow. So that is a very, very important receptor. Right. Okay. Wow. And so when we're looking at various disease states, for example, inflammatory bowel disease, migraines, inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. You know, very good article written by Dr. Ethan Russo back in 2015, where he attributes many of these conditions in part to a defect within your endocannabinoid system. So that when you replace them with phytocannabinoids, that's why certain patients get relief. So what he calls mm -hmm. clinical endocannabinoid deficiency. Wow, and how do you figure that out? 
he did a very good article and he did, deduces it from various kids, for example, autism. There's a ton of research going on autism and it interacts with your endocannabinoid system. And there are some people who feel that part of autism spectrum is a defect within your endocannabinoid system, which is why when certain autistic kids take cannabinoids, they see an improvement of symptoms. That is so interesting. So it's almost like a trial and error. You can't necessarily test for it. It's, uh... No. See, the problem is, is that in the U.S., the research that is done here is done with a specific goal, and that is to have a patentable product ready yes. for market that doctors like me can prescribe and they can make their money back on for all the money they put into research and development. Okay. Because many drugs that go into research fail. So these companies want to recoup their money back. Okay? Whereas in Israel, when they're doing their autism studies at the Technion and Haifa, they are not doing it with the goal of a specific patented drug that's marketable. They're doing it so they can advance the knowledge of cannabinoids. Mm. Okay? So that's a big difference between the research environment in Israel versus the U.S. So we often have to rely on the, res on the research that's done in Israel mm -hmm. because nobody's going to do research in the U.S. unless it's making the money. Exactly. Or in a university program or something. Like that's fine, sir. Uh, you know, no romance without finance. <laughs> yes, that is very, very true. At least in the U.S. Yes. For sure. So with pain, so we're going to say pain would be more of like, because that's the one thing I've noticed a lot with, you know, because I do traditionally, I do anesthesia and a lot of my patients, I would see them, you know, convert from the oxycodones and all the other opiates to where all of a sudden they're just on cannabis, right? you know? So what kind of terpenes and uh, that you would see for the the pain patients? I would not necessarily go for a specific terpene, but I would look at some of the other associated conditions with them. So let's mm -hmm. say you got a chronic pain, but you also have insomnia. Mm -hmm. So I'm more likely to go for an indica. Okay. You know, or for example, a fibromyalgia patient that also has mm -hmm. clinical depression because of her of her fibromyalgia condition, she's depressed. Mm -hmm. So maybe I would use a sativa product for daytime use, but then switch an indica for nighttime so she can sleep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or you can use what's called a hybrid product. A hybrid is like a mixture of sativa and indica. And results can be varied. Well, you could have like a, a sativa dominant hybrid. You could have a clinical dominant hybrid. You know, so it's really like a spectrum. It is not real hard and fast sativa indica. You know, it is more like on a, on a kind of a spectrum in a way. Okay. So a little blend. And then even within the same, so like, let's say the Durban poison or whatever the other meds or the other uh, cannabis uh, strains there are. Can the terpenes change within that strain? Like, let's say they're, you know, they're growing it at the dispensary yes. and selling it. The... Hydroponic grow uh -huh. versus outdoor grow versus indoor grow. What fertilizers or associated uh, chemicals are you using in your grow? How much light you're giving them? You know, I'll give you an example. There was a TV show, I think on the Discovery Channel, called Strain Hunters. Okay. Strain hunters. Strain hunters. These are guys that will go to the remote, remote parts of the world looking for 
specific land race strains of cannabis. They'll go in the deep, deep parts of Africa, India, to look for these land race strains. So these guys went, I forgot which Africa country they went to, but they went like a two-day river boat, boat trip down the river to find this one particular like land race strain, which they got the seeds from, and they took it back to their lab in Europe, where they probably put it in some type of hydroponic setup. Okay. Well, the fact that you're going to take this thing and plant it in somewhere in Europe or make it hydroponic, you're going to get a different outcome than if you're using the actual soil that's used in Africa with the temperature and the sun cycle and all that kind of stuff. You're going to have a different product. You know, as uh, as the French say, the the terroir, your grow environment makes a difference in the terpenes and the flavonoids and what kind of product you get. Wow. So many variables. So I see the dilemma. There's no way to patent. Right. That's for sure. You know, if I change a terpene, I got a different product. If I change a ratio of a terpene, I got a different product. Wow. Whereas metformin, 850 milligrams, you're getting 850 milligrams of metformin. Wow. The only difference is vitamins, the fillings, and the food coloring. The, all the other stuff, yeah. But all the other stuff in cannabinoids and cannabis have a lot of beautiful, uh, the smell, the color, right. everything. That's yeah. why this is something you cannot patent, you know? on the drug Marinol, when a lot of people want to bring up Marinol, all Marinol is is synthesized THC. Okay? It is actually is a synthesized isomer of THC. Okay. It is not the exact 100% Delta 9 THC solid in the plant. Yes. I remember giving it in the hospital as a nurse. Right. But, uh, it, it didn't really do what it wanted. It's isomer of THC. There are no terpenes. There are no, no. flavonoids. There's no minor cannabinoids. No. Was it THCV to to increase? Oh no, that one decreases appetite. This one, so the Marinol, the purpose of Marinol, which was is a prescription, is to stimulate nausea and vomiting. Exactly. Yes, to help with that. Right. But it's, it's, it's pretty crappy drug. It you know, yes, it's expensive. It is. You're better off using the real thing. Yes. Yes, but I think that they wanted it to work out beautifully for them, but it just didn't. It's the combination of all of everything working right. together. But remember, in the nineteen uh, eighties, when Marinol first came out, we did not have barely any knowledge of the cannabis plant at that time. Because remember, the elements of the endocannabinoid system were undiscovered until nineteen ninety two. Oh wow! In Israel, by Dr. Mashula, anandamide, two AG, CP one, CP two receptors. Those weren't discovered until the 1990s. Marinol was created in the 1980s. So that's pretty much what they're doing. Actually, I think that's what all pharmaceutical companies are doing now, or is just trying to isolate certain, even with the cannabis, but also with psychedelics. They're trying to isolate it to be able to, well, we even had that with ketamine, you know, the nasal nasal ketamine, you know. IV, nasal... Well, no, then the nasal, they, they separated the isomers, right? So they had the S and the R. And they were able to separate the S, and that's why they were able to patent it, the nasal ketamine. Right. And also, I'll even throw a bigger monkey wrench for you, in that when you look at the chirality of the of the THC molecule, you know, it can exist in different S and R uh, configurations. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So even more complications for Right. And that yeah. will get effect is binding to the receptor. Yeah, yeah, because that's what they're even finding, and that's what we're seeing too. With the yeah, you separate the S, but there is benefit. Just like when you separate the THC from the cannabinoids, right, and just try to do the CBD, 
there is benefit the THC. It all works in cohesion as a, a, a right plant, a full plant. For example, when you look at hippie dialects, which is pure plant derived CBD, but there's no and and also they have like um Splenda strawberry flavoring and sesame oil, but there is no terpenes, no flavonoids, or mitocannabinoids in this thirty-two thousand dollar a year product. Call it dialects. Get a much better bang for your buck getting CBD from a dispensary that has the terpenes, the flavonoids, and even smaller. What's the what's yeah. the purpose of Epidiolex? To make GW pharmaceutical a lot of money. Yeah, but what is the function? Why did they create it? Like, what is it being prescribed for? It's being prescribed for uh, Gervais syndrome, uh, which is a type of intractable epilepsy syndrome, and Lennox Gastaut syndrome, which is another type of epilepsy syndrome seen in kids. Okay. Okay. GW Pharmaceuticals was trying to make some type of CBD product that they could market as a pharmaceutical product. They got a lot of publicity when Sanjay Gupta did a special. Um, it's a British company, but unfortunately, they do play dirty sometimes because they're also behind the blocking of a lot of liberalization of the cannabis laws because they want to make money back on their product, even though their product is not as useful full-spectrum CBD. Mm-hmm. Right, and now that we, if you have that transdermal option, I mean, that's just amazing. Right. To have that. I mean, I'm working everybody, but it's definitely an option for some people. Yeah. Okay. So for epile- for epilepsy, it was the one, you know, the Charlotte's Web. And then what are really the, the terpenes that stand out for those patients? Or they'll have a specific. The terpenes that okay. were involved with in Charlotte Figgy's case. But I'll tell you one thing. There is a myth that has been perpetrated about Charlotte Figgy, may she rest in peace, is that she had her seizures controlled strictly with just CBD only. That is not the case. We talked to any of the catamoms that knew the family. Every single one will tell you that she needed to add on THC to her regimen to control the seizures. Yeah. Yeah, it's a combined. It's the full spectrum of the plant right. that allows the plant. Now, if relief, there is a kind of honeymoon period when you, you start taking on CBD and they improve a whole lot. But that improvement is kind of short-lived because eventually they are going to have some more breakthrough seizures. And so you have to go up on the CBD or you may have to add THC or THCA. Yes, in form of THC, which is not psychoactive, but does have benefit seizures. THCA. Wow. I'm going to have to do a lot more research. I thought THC was just THC. Now I got THCA, Uh, THCB. If I give you the raw plant, I handed you the raw plant, okay? And let's say you were to eat up a bunch of raw cannabis plants, it would do nothing to you. Why? Because the THC found in the raw plant is THCA, tetrahydrocannabinolic acid, okay? Uh Which is not psychoactive. But can it hurt the cannabinoid system? So... What do you do? What people do is when you apply heat, when you dry it or cure it or add heat to it, you cause what's called a decarboxylation reaction and that converts THCA to THC, okay? So, uh, for example, there was the Joe Redner case, the gentleman who owned a bunch of nightclubs who had stage four lung cancer, was still alive to this day, by the way, who... Uh, credited his, re- his recovery 
to juicing the cannabis plant. You would juice the raw cannabis plant and drink it. Okay? You would not get high from it, but you get the benefit of THCA. The acids, that's another area where we could be doing, you know, quite a bit of research in. But the problem with researching the acid form of cannabinoids is this. The acid form of the molecule is unstable. It doesn't take long to break these molecules down. So a little bit of heat is broken down. You know? So one of the researchers in Israel found that if they add some modifiers to this molecule, you can stabilize the acid form of the molecule and you can derive the same amount of anti-inflammatory effects. But the question still remains, what is the role of the terpenes and the flavors and the amino cannabinoids with these agents versus these agents by themselves? And Dr. Didi Mayeri, who was one of the principal researchers from Israel at the Technion in Haifa, he told me that's still an unknown. Right, that's what I was going to ask you. So, so if it's not, you were saying that it needs to be de decarboxylated for the THCA, but you still have the benefits of the terpenes and the flavonoids if you don't decarboxylate, like the well, drying of the heating. Or not, the terpenes are still there. Okay. Okay, so you still get the benefits. So yes. for the patient with the, the lung cancer, when he blended it up, and so he was still getting the benefit of the THC, even though it was A, the acid form not active, right? activity, he was still getting the benefits of the terpenes and the flavonoids. Right. And the this THCA is so still interacts with your endocannabinoid system. It just won't make you psychoactive. Okay, which some people don't like that. That's where a lot of people, right. just so the CBD products. If you can get a whole, if let's say a child has seizure disorder and they are, they're on CBD and they get more breakthrough seizures, I've told parents, I say, you know, try to get all some THCA and give the kids some THCA to supplement their CBD to see if that helps. And THC, can you get that is like, you would just have to get the raw flour? Is that what it is? Um, or they, they have made THCA like a concentrate form. Okay. Like an oil, like sublingual. Well, but you would have to make sure that you'd have to mix it in some type of oil base and not apply any heat whatsoever and keep it out of the sun. Okay. Yeah, so totally. The acid form of cannabinoids are not very stable molecules. Okay, the raw plant. Wow, I could talk about this for hours. Thank you so much. I've learned so much. So it's important to note that not all cannabis is created equal. And it's important for you to know what you're looking to treat when you are using cannabis and looking at the terpenes. And like I just learned today, the terpenes are actually listed for everyone in, you know, everyone's being, uh, all the products are being tested. So if you have your medical card, you can go in and ask for specific terpenes. Um, those that are educated in that space should know, right? If you're looking for anxiety versus, you know, sleep, pain, ADHD, all those things. And hey, if you have children with ADHD and they are having a lot of side effects with the pharmaceuticals, which there are plenty of side effects with those, you know, maybe talk to your pediatrician and hopefully they're open to it and knowing that there's transdermal patches that yeah. help with certain, not all all ADHD patients, but right. with some of them, it could benefit. That's amazing. I have learned so much. Actually, cannabis specialists are kind of few and far between. I mean, I know Dr. David Berger in Tampa, but here in uh, in in the Miami Dade Broward County area, we have Dr. Anne Marie Wong. She's a pediatrician. Okay. She's also a cannabis specialist as well, too. 
Okay. So I guess in for any everyone listening out there, you I guess Google pediatric cannabis specialist near me, right? And then you can find that area. So Dr. McKenzie, it's was a pleasure. Thank you so much. If you are looking for uh, an amazing primary care doctor as well as a cannabis specialist, he is based out of Hollandale, Florida, and we'll have his uh, clinic information and bio in our show notes. And it was definitely an honor. And I hope we get to run into each other again. And you are my go-to. You know, you know, you can call me anytime, pick my brain, whatever. Oh, definitely. And I definitely will take advantage of that. Hey, can you text me text me a picture of those notes of the terpenes? I'd like to, you know, put some notes the out. The terpene wheel? The terpene wheel. I love that. Yeah, I'll send you I'll send you I'll send it to you. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you everyone for joining us for this week's dose of psychedelic healing with Dr. Mackenzie, the cannabis specialist here in Hollandale, Florida. Have a beautiful evening, everyone. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.